This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. We have the really, I guess, chosen pleasure for those girls who told me today, who told me that they're very excited because they remember how much they enjoyed Rabbi Gladstein's speech last year. On the same, um, thank you girls for standing, can we see you for a moment? On the same, um, I guess, concept of Megillus Esther, but with a new theme, of course, for this year. And um, it really is, I'm supposed to have somebody who authored a book, and we're so happy to have his books, and I think that every single one of you should buy it. It will enhance your Purim. Um, Rabbi Gladstein is also a rub in the five towns somewhere, and it is our pleasure to welcome him to our school. How long do I have? When is this period of course? Good afternoon, everyone. I'm very excited to speak here today. Aside from the fact that Purim is by far my favorite Yamtif, actually, you know, the Mikubalim say that Purim is the source of all the Yamim Toivim. Pei Vav Reish Yod Mem. Pei stands for Pesach. Vav, Vesukis, of course. Reish. <laughs> Rosh Hashanah. Yod, Yom Kippurim, and Mem is Matan Torah. Actually, the Bnei Yisachar asks, I mean, is that a joke? Vav stands for Vesukis? And he has a whole lengthy exposition how Sukis is exemplified by the letter Vav. So Purim is really the source of all Simcha for the entire year, but for me personally, my grandparents are Holocaust survivors. My grandfather passed away two years ago at the age of 106. He was in Auschwitz, he was in Dachau, and he was born, his bris was on Tainus Esther, and he, his name was Mordechai. And he faced the Nazis, he saw Eichmann, he saw Dr. Mengele, so he saw Amalek, he defeated Amalek, his name was Mordechai. He was a great hero of the Jewish people. So for me, Purim is the celebration of my, my family's salvation, as it is the celebration of the salvation of all of Klal Yisrael. And you know, the Gemara tells us, Mishanichnas Adar Marben Besimcha. So I was expecting, I remember last year, everybody was in costume in honor of my drasha. But... I'm here today to tell you it's never too early. When does that begin? When do we start rejoicing in Adar? So Rav Chaim Knievsky says, well, technically, this year there are two days of Rosh Chodesh. So there's Tuesday and Wednesday. But Rav Chaim says, you don't start until Wednesday because Tuesday is still the last day of the previous month. Wednesday is the first day of Adar. So Mishanichnas Adar Marben Besimcha begins on Rosh Chodesh Adar. However, says the Ben Chai, the Gemara doesn't say Mishahigia Adar. When Adar has reached, it says Mishanichnas, when it enters. And Adar already enters by the Moilad of the Levana when the, when the moon is born, which happens even before Rosh Chodesh. And actually, Rabnebenzal writes, Mishanichnas Adar 
Marbin Besimcha starts Shabbos. Mevarchim Chaydesh Adar. This Shabbos already begins. Mishenichnas Adar Marbin Besimcha. And some say that when the first speaker starts to speak about Adar, we can already kick off. Mishenichnas Adar Marbin Besimcha. That's my personal opinion. Okay, we're off to a very good start. Every single Matzah Shabbos in Havdalah, we say a Pasuk from Megillah Esther, La Yehudim, Haisa Oira, Simcha V'sasem Likar, Kainti Alano. It's very interesting that of all the Pesukim in the whole Tanakh, the Pasuk that we invoke is a Pasuk from Megillah Esther. As if we need to connect every day of our life with the story of Purim. We could recite many, many psukim, Matzai Shabbos. But specifically, La Yehudim, Haisa Oira, the Simcha, the Sasan Vikar. Also, interesting halacha, I try to bring in a, a specimen, but it's too early in the year. You know, the Beis Yosef writes that the Besamim, most people use cloves. The Beis Yosef writes, you should use Hadasim. That's what I do. After Sukkot is over, I take off the Hadassim from the Dalad Minim. She also does that. And, <laughs> and I put it in the cloves. That's what the Beis Yosef writes. You have to be careful. Mishanichnas Adar Ma'amar ben Besimcha begins every single Matzah Shabbos. You smell the Hadassim. And the Beis Yosef says, you remind yourself of Esther. In fact, the Chassam Soifer says, the two flames of Havdalah represent the flame of Mardachai Esther. So it's very interesting. We have a ritual every single Matzah Shabbos. We recite a Pasuk from the Megillah. We remember Esther by putting the Hadassim in the Basamim. We remember Mardachai Esther with the two flames of the Havdalah. Why every Matzah Shabbos do we invoke, do we remember, do we think about the story of Purim? Now, there's something very interesting. Because if you look in Masech the Megillah, the Megillah observes that when Mordechai wanted to legislate the Yom of Purim, he said, let's make Mishteh, party, Simcha, a feast, the Yom And Yom means it's a prohibition to do Malacha. But when Mordechai established it, he established it as a Mishteh, the Simcha, umishloyach manois, because it says the Gemara, ve'ilu Yom loy ka'amra, they never established Purim as a Yom Purim's not a Yom you're allowed to do Malacha on Purim. So the Gemara asks, why didn't they establish Purim as a Yom Says the Gemara, the Jewish people did not want Purim to be a Yom And that's astounding. Who wouldn't want another Yom on the calendar? Why wouldn't we have accepted Purim as a Yom I mean, an extra day to rest? And yet the Gemara says, Klal Yisrael specifically did not want Purim to be a Yom Let's try to understand that, why Klaiso did not want Purim to be a Yom So today I want to tell you about a politician. He's a very interesting politician, a world leader. He surprisingly comes to the scene. His status as a world leader is questionable based on his birth. He's back and forth with the taxes. First he gives a, a respite on the taxes, and then he hires the taxes. And of course we're talking about the story of Achashverosh, who, who 
gives respite on the taxes, he raises the taxes, and as the story goes, history repeats itself. But there's a very important lesson that many, a very few people pick up on in the story of Megillah Esther. Do you remember the Gemara? The Gemara asks, Esther menatayra minayin. We're... What? What's all that noise? Mrs. Weiss, Mrs. Weiss, can you ask everybody up there to keep quiet and hear voices? Thank you. The Gemara asks, Esther menatayra minayin. We're in the Chumash can we find the name Esther? And the Gemara says very simply, And I will hide my face from them on that day. And the Gemara asks, Where is there a remez in the Torah to Haman? And the Gemara says, Haman, Hamin by the sin of the forbidden fruit, where Hashem tells Chava, Hamin Ha'eitz, and the Gemara asks, Mordechai minalan. Where is there a remez to Mordechai? And the Gemara brings the Pasuk, Mar Dachia, Mar Derar, the Targum says Mar Dachia. This is one of the most well-known Gemaras about Purim. We have a minalan about everybody. Where is Haman? Where is Esther? Where is Mordechai? The Gemara even asks, Where is Moshe Rabbeinu? Moshe Rabbeinu, his name is 613 times. What do you mean, where is Moshe Rabbeinu? And there's one individual who's conspicuously absent from this discussion. There's one person who the Gemara does not bother to ask, Minolan, where is the guy? Achashverosh. Why doesn't the Gemara ask? Achashverosh menatoira minolan. So my son said, what do you mean? You think you're going to actually find somewhere in the Chumash, Aleph, Ches, Shin, Vav, Resh, Aleph, Shin. I mean, that's a mouthful. Where are you going to find that in the Torah? But still on a deeper level, why does the Gemara not ask, Why is there no remez to in the Chumash? And then you have Shoshanas Yaakov. So after the Megillah, Menog Yisrael, is we say Shoshan Yaakov, we talk about all the characters of the Purim story. We say, Esther, go Esther, Brucha Esther. Mordechai, cheers for Mordechai, Baruch Mordechai. Haman, boo, Arur Haman. Zeresh, Arura Zeresh. Even Charvoina, we throw the guy a bone. And there's one person conspicuously absent from Shoshanas Yaakov. Achashverosh! Shouldn't we say, Aorur Achashverosh, Baruch Achashverosh, something about Achashverosh. Throw him something. Why has Achashverosh been left out of Shoshanas Yaakov? Why is he not in the Torah? Achashverosh min Torah minolan, the Gemara never asks. And this brings us to one of the most important principles in Yahadus. Because the truth is, this Achashverosh, he's a strange character. He does very bizarre things. He has a party for 180 days. Who makes a party for 180 days? Most people, at the end of a wedding, they have to go on vacation for a week. That's one night. A week of partying. A month of partying. 180 days I think it's fair to say Lahavdil. You know, in all of Shakespeare's plays, there's always a character that provides comic relief. If anyone ever made a play out of the Purim story, Achashverosh would have to be the comic relief 
character, I mean the things that he dreams up of. Imagine if somebody would come to me, Gladstein, we want to reward you, please, you're invited to the White House, and the President of the United States, he comes to me, and he shakes my hand, and he says, Gladstein, here, we want to reward you, you're going you're gonna to put on my suit. I don't want to wear his suit. It's not going to fit me. What kind of reward? Why would Achashverosh give Mordechai the royal robe, the royal horse? I mean, who needs it? If you want to give someone a present, I'm sure Mordechai could have come up with many ways that he would have selected to be rewarded. Where did Achashverosh dream up of this plan to let Mordechai wear his clothing? I mean, everything he does is unusual, is bizarre. You know, the Gemara says, Melech Tipishaya, he's a fool. Actually, if you look in the Gemara, the Gemara has Machlikis Rav and Shmuel, whether the party he made for the residents of Shushan was that a good idea or bad idea. But Rav Schwab says, that's only regarding that party, but regarding every other thing this man did, he was insane. And this teaches us a very important lesson. That politics, world events, leaders of countries, they don't follow regular patterns of nature. It's unpredictable. And usually, the surprising happens. You know, Harry Truman is best remembered by Jews for being the first to come forth and recognize the state of Israel in its infancy. He was the first to give audience to the first, king, uh, first president of Israel, President Weizmann. And for that, he's remembered the world over with much gratitude. But there's a little footnote in history. Because Truman's wife was a big anti-Semite. She didn't allow Jews into her home. But Truman, before he became a president, you know what he did? He owned a Borsalino store. Seriously. In Independence, Missouri. He owned a haberdashery, a hat store. And it was an abysmal failure. Who in Missouri wears hats? There are no yeshivas around. And this ill-fated business was so bizarre. He was so bad at selling hats, but he acquired a very dear friend, Eddie Jacobson, a Jewish guy. And somehow, you know, he was incompetent in business. So if you're incompetent in business, there's always politics. And somehow Truman went into politics. He became the president of the United States. Had Truman not become president, if Roosevelt would still have been president, he probably would not have recognized the state of Israel. Roosevelt had every opportunity to bomb the concentration camps, and he bombed around the camps instead of bombing the camps. But Truman was very connected to Eddie Jacobson. And Jacobson begged Truman, do me a favor, meet President Weizmann. And Truman had to bring him in outside of his house because the wife didn't want a Jew into the house. And Jacobson said, please, do me a favor, just meet Truman. And because of that very strange friendship that Truman had with Eddie Jacobson, that led to Truman's recognition of the state of Israel. And that, of course, is the reason why Yeshiva Bachrim wear hats today and gratitude to President Truman. But that's a little footnote in history. Would you have expected that the fate of 
the Jewish people and Eretz Yisrael should rest in the friendship of a president with somebody who he bought a hat store with? You know, the fall of the Tsars during the Russian Revolution was also through a very unusual twist in history. So Alexander died, and his son Nicholas took over. Nicholas was completely incompetent, and Tsar Nicholas had a son. His son was a hemophiliac. He couldn't stop bleeding. Now they just discovered the reason he couldn't stop bleeding is because he was taking a few aspirins every day. They thought it was making him better, but it was making him bleed to death. And Alexander didn't know what to do. Nicholas didn't know what to do with his son. So he meets this con artist, this mystic healer. His name was Gregory Rasputin. And you can look at pictures of him with the big wizard's hat. He looks like he's straight out of Harry Potter. And the Tsar, Tsar Nicholas, ignored all of his father's advisors. He could have been led by his father's advisors and led Russia to great power. Instead, he put his fate in the hands of an absolute kook named Gregory Rasputin, who brought down the czars. Could you imagine? The greatest power in the world was brought down by a clown named Gregory Rasputin. The point is, the politics of the world are not predictable. And when it comes to world leaders, here's the lesson. They are irrelevant. There is no entity called Achashverosh. There is no entity called President, Prime Minister. They are pawns in the hands of Hashem. Hashem manipulates them wherever He needs to. How often do we get caught up in election, in politics? Oh, if only our man would be in the White House. If only our man would be in the office. Give the Rebunisha more credit than needing your candidate to bring blessing to the Jewish people. Does anybody know who else recognized the state of Israel? The greatest butcher in the history of the world, Stalin. Stalin made Hitler seem like a decent guy. Stalin killed 20 million of his own people. But he got into his head, we spoke about this last year, he got into his head that if Israel is a socialist country, it will be a communist country. And if it's a communist country, they're better off than the Brits in the Middle East. So Stalin, when the Jews were about to lose the war of independence, Stalin funded Israeli independence. And then he voted to recognize the state of Israel. So, it's irrelevant who the leader is. We need to know about Mordechai, that Sadiq, we can learn from his behavior. We need to know about Esther, we can learn from her righteousness. We need to know about Haman, the wicked man, we need to know what not to do. But the politician, the world leader, is merely a pawn in the hands of the Rebani Shalom. But we often don't see this. You see, we live in a world where we're so bombarded with messages and media and buzzing and dinging and news that our hearts and our minds and our eyes are so clouded from seeing the Yad Hashem in this world. The best thing that a person could do to recognize HaKadosh Baruch Hu today is to take a little break from the technology 
and the buzzing and the dinging and the media and take a deep breath and take a step back and watch how the Ribbon Shum is pulling the strings. I'll give you an example. In 1902, and I'm not here to talk about Hashkafa of the State of Israel, you could speak to your teachers and Rabbeim. I'm just here to report the facts. In the beginning of the 20th century, Theodore Herzl asked the Kaiser, okay, this is, we're talking 48 years before the establishment of the State of Israel. He said, Kaiser, the leader of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, what are the chances that the Jewish people could establish a homeland in the State of Israel, in Palestine? The Kaiser laughed. Mr. Herzl, three world empires would have to crumble before you could even begin to think about struggling for Jewish independence. The occupier of Palestine, the Ottoman Empire, would have to be defeated. Tsarist Russia, which guarantees Jerusalem for the Eastern Orthodox Church, would have to capitulate. The German Empire, which guarantees Palestine, would have to collapse. 20 years later, Ottoman Empire was no longer. The Tsars fell. And then Germany lost World War II. And then the Brits left the Suez Canal. If somebody would have bet in the year 1910, what is the likelihood that the Jewish people have independence in the land of Israel? It would not have been 1%. It wouldn't have been 0.0001%. It would have been impossible. So we don't worry when any individual is sitting in office because the Shem loves those people. They're the best pawns. They pack the best surprise. But you should know, even Herzl, who fought for Israeli independence, the Rebbein Shalom uses him as a pawn as well. Because in 1902, he testified before the British Royal Commission. And he offered Zionism as the solution to all the immigrants that were coming to Britain. And you know, the Brits couldn't take the fact that Eastern European Jews were crowding the country. So they said, Herzl, you know, well, we make the following proposal. Instead of giving you Palestine... We'll give you Uganda, a country in Africa, which Herzl accepted. He imposed on the Zionist Congress to accept Uganda. God said, I'm done with you. And Herzl died at the age of 44, very soon after. All of these great leaders are merely pawns in the hands of Hashem. He moves them one step, he moves them two steps, until he's done with them. That is how we have to learn from the Purim story. There is no Achashverosh in the Torah. There is no president in the Torah. They are merely pawns in the hands of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But I want to make this a little bit more personal. Because until now we're speaking about the national salvation of the Jewish people. How Hashem moves world leaders to bring salvation to all of Klal Yisrael. Now let's talk about me and you. Let's talk about us as individuals. The Gemara says in Masech the Megillah that when HaKadosh Baruch Hu allowed Haman to rise to power, it was only Achar Hadvarim Ha'ila. After these matters. The Gemara asks, after what matters? After Mordechai overheard the plan to assassinate the king, 
and after Esther was selected as the queen, and everything was put into place to orchestrate Jewish salvation, only then the Rebbein Shem allowed Haman to rise to power. Says the Gemara, Ein HaKadosh Baruch Hu Makes Yisrael Elohim Kain Hu Rufua God does not bring challenge to the Jewish people until He first creates the salvation. Says the stipler going, this is not only on a national level, this is on an individual level as well. Any challenge a person goes through in life, any difficulty, family, emotional, any difficulty in life, any hurdle in life, it's not that Hashem brings a hurdle and then we daven Hashem, please create a salvation, please create a refuah. No, the Rebbe Hashem doesn't operate that way. First He creates the refuah and only then does He bring the difficulty. Says the stipler how encouraging this is. Because often in life we think we have a problem, we have an issue, we have a difficulty, there's no way out, it's impossible, and we give up hope. But says the stipler, if we would only recognize, not only is there a way out, Hashem creates the remedy and the way out even before He creates the problem. Yosef HaTzadik, he's 17 years old. He's the favorite son of his father. He learns everything from his father. He's next in line. It's going to be Avraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Yosef. And the next thing he knows, he's being sold to Egypt. He's on the bottom of a pit with snakes, with scorpions. And he's on the way to Egypt and he's in his master's house. And then his master's wife accuses him and he's in the bottom of the jail. But let's think a little bit about what the Rebbein Shalom did for Yosef and he did for Klal Yisrael. When Yosef mustered up the inner strength to resist the temptation of Eishas Poitifera and he ran outside, Vayanos HaChutza, he ran out! Many hundreds of years later, the Jewish people are going to be standing at the sea. The Egyptians on one side, the sea on the other side, with no way out! And God says to the sea, See, move! And the sea said, I don't move. I stay in one place. God said, Remember what Yosef did? Yosef ran out from Eishas Poitifera. You need to flee from before the Jewish people. And the entire Jewish people, three million people, were saved. Why? Because of Yosef. Yosef probably thought his life is coming to an end. He has this challenge. He has this difficulty. God is abandoning him. No! God's not abandoning him. The Rebbe is grooming Yosef, preparing Yosef, so that he can have the zuchus to ultimately be the cause of the salvation of the entire Jewish people. And when Yosef was on the bottom of the pit, what did the brothers do to Yosef? The brothers grabbed his begadim and they tore his begadim and Yosef's on the bottom of the pit. And Yosef may be thinking to himself, I'm being kidnapped. I'm, I may die soon. My whole destiny has been shattered. But think about what the Rebbe Hashem is doing for Yosef, says the Sasamas. By Yosef having his garment torn, Yosef is now able to overcome the Nisayon of his begadim. 
So that a little bit later on, when Eishas Poitifera comes, Yosef says, oh, I've done that already. I've already been misgaber over that kind of nisayon. And Yosef's able to overcome Eishas Poitifera. So even though Yosef falling on the bottom of the pit, it seems like everything is coming to an end, the Rebbe Shalom is grooming Yosef, preparing Yosef, endowing him with the ability to overcome the future test, so that hundreds of years later, when the Jewish people are at the sea, they could summon up the Zechus of Yosef, and we go to freedom. Not only does the Rebbe Shalom bring us salvation, the Rebbe brings us the salvation from the challenge. Hashem saved the Jewish people through all the difficulties of Yosef. But let's go back to the bottom of the pit for one more minute. Yosef's lying there on the bottom of the pit. What's on the bottom of the pit? The Pasuk says, V'habar reik, ein boy, mayim ein boy, aval nechashem va'akravim yeshvay. They're snakes and scorpions. Snakes and scorpions are not pleasant company. What do you think was going through Yosef's mind at that time? Was he throwing in the towel? Perhaps Yosef, if you look in Parak Shira, we know that all of creation sings Shira to Hashem. What does the snake say? The snake says, Soimech Hashem Lachal Hanoiflim. God supports all those who are fallen. Akrov Mahu Oimer, what does the scorpion say? Toiv Hashem Lakoil Viracham Avakomasav. Yosef understood, Yosef recognized that it looks like his life is coming to an end. It looks like his destiny is being shattered. But Yosef recognized Ein HaKadosh Baruch Hu Makes Yisrael Elohim Kein Hu Bayrei That the Yibam Shem always creates the remedy before the malady. The Yibam Shem brings the salvation from the challenge. And Yosef on the bottom of the pit, he hears the Nachash saying, God supports the fallen. He hears the scorpion saying, God is good to everyone. He's merciful on all of His creations. From Megillus Esther, we understand that all the challenges of the Jewish people, Hashem has already taken care of beforehand. You just have to open up your eyes. We're mispalel to Hashem. Don't not save us. Open up our eyes so that we could see your salvation. Every single Matzai Shabbos, it's a big downer. It's a downer. We smell besamim because we lose the neshama yisera. We lose the extra soul. But you know, there's one day a year that we never separate from. There's one day a year we're always connected to. The mikubalim teach us that the reason why Chazal, the reason why the Jewish people didn't want Purim to be a yamtif. You know why we don't want Purim to be a yamtif? Because if it's a yamtif, you know what you have to do after Purim? You have to make Havdalah. You have to separate from it. And we cannot bring ourselves to separate from Purim. The chizuk, the encouragement, the amuna, the consolation that we get from the Purim story is something we live, something we breathe. We can't go a day of our life without thinking about Purim. So it comes Matzah Shabbos, and we have to take leave of Shabbos, but we say, you know what? There's one day a year we don't have to take leave of. 
We never have to take leave of Purim. We smell the Basamim, we take the Hadasim, and we remember Esther Hamalka. We look at the flame, the two flickers of the flame, Mardachai the Esther. And we have Emuna Shlema. That yes, Haman is uh, something to be reckoned with. Mordechai the Esther we learn from. But Achashverosh is a non-entity. He's just a pawn in the hand of Hashem. And in the Ribbon Hashem we pray that HaKadosh Baruch Hu opens up our eyes to see how He's pulling the strings in the national destiny of the Jewish people. To see how He's pulling the strings in every detail of our life. How one day we will see that every challenge in our life, every difficulty in our life, not Hashem's going to help us overcome, how that was the source of our greatest success. So it was really a pleasure to share a few thoughts with you today and to kick off the Zman Simchasenu of Mishanechna Sadar Marben Besimcha. We should all be Zoycha. That just like the Rebbein Shem brought Yeshuais in the times of Purim, we should be Zoycha La Yehudim Haisa Oira Besimcha Besasayin Vikar Kain Tialano. Amen. Thank you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.